This is Exponent Philanthropy's catalytic podcast, Conversations with Leaders at Small Foundations. Meet some of the most creative, resourceful, and risk-taking foundation people in the country. The IRS provides ample safe space for private foundations to support advocacy by nonprofits. As long as the foundation does not engage in lobbying or support lobbying, there are many activities in the policy space that are legally allowed. Foundations can support work by nonprofits to educate the public and lawmakers on issues that are overlooked. Or misunderstood. They can fund nonprofits to gather needed data and research. They can support the work of advocacy coalitions, such as the costs of convening, facilitation, and meeting space. The board and staff of the David and Laura Lovell Foundation, a small staffed funder, take full advantage of this legal safe space. To support the policy work of its grantees, the foundation's guiding notion is that supporting advocacy can actually solve or prevent the problems the foundation is trying to address, instead of focusing each year on symptoms. The foundation's support of advocacy has empowered several of its partners to achieve significant policy wins. Among these is the passing of national legislation by Congress that protects women, people of color, the LGBTQ community, and all workers from workplace discrimination and abuse. In this podcast, John Amoroso of the Foundation offers a step-by-step guide to funding advocacy. The process begins by educating your foundation's board and staff about the legal safe space, and then signaling to your grantee partners that you are interested in funding advocacy and addressing barriers to solving problems. Then engage your partners to learn their ideas for using advocacy to make systemic change in the issues they work in. Either at the local, state, or national level, then support your partners and their advocacy coalitions to do this work. John calls on funders to stay in the game for the time period that grantees need to get the work over the finish line. This podcast is a companion to Exponent Philanthropy's Field Guide to Advocacy. Written specially for leanly staffed, place-based foundations, the field guide is written by Jason Sabo and Lisa Kerber of Frontera Strategy. Visit Exponent Philanthropy's website to get a copy. Here now is John Amoroso. A lot of private foundations, or even nonprofits, assume. 
or are very shy about engaging in advocacy or policy advocacy. And so they they think they'll either get in trouble with the IRS or that they will, you know, um, somehow spoil their donor base or, you know, that they're just very reluctant to do it. But oftentimes the problems we're trying to fix in our communities are based on a barrier that is in policy, a barrier that is in the structure of the way laws are formed and the way they're implemented. And so being able to change that is essential to getting to impact, to getting to a resolution or getting to some solutions for that problem. And so figuring out how as a, as a nonprofit, you are absolutely able to advocate and even lobby. And as a, as a private foundation, you are able to support organizations that do that. You don't do that yourself, but you can support those organizations legally with your grants and so that they can achieve policy goals, policy gains that have a direct impact on the issues you're trying to solve or improve. Um, but if you don't ever go there, you may never get to resolution. You may never get to the, 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 the thing that's causing you know, this, your problem to be a perpetual problem. And so how do you work with your board? How do you explain that to your board? How do you encourage nonprofits through your grant making processes to consider the policy angles and in, in, in your, you know, and, and then how do you nurture that? And the term that was used here when I was, you know, I, I was aware of it before, but our local association called it philanthropy. You know, how do you, how do you engage in that? You know, what are you curious about it? Have you ever considered it? And if not, why? Because it's 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 a, a very powerful tool that's it's available to you as both a nonprofit and as a private foundation. And so the steps that I did to engage my board and then get them into in thinking about how can we can make grants that impact um, the policy landscape that actually improve the conditions that we're trying to improve. For me, step one is probably taking a hard look at the issues that you're working on as a foundation. What is it that you are concerned about? Um, what are the things that your grants are going towards? The problems in your community or in, with the constituents that you work with that you're trying to solve? And doing a, an analysis or a landscape evaluation of what those issues are and what are the levers, what are the, the barriers, what are the things that are in the way of making improvements in those, uh, in those different issues. So that I think is probably the first thing. And, and, and the way we did that was by engaging our partners. So we, so we brought together and convened and provided dollars to convene groups that are working on these issues and, and find out from them directly. So, okay, what are the problems? And, and what are some of those that have maybe have policy components that are, uh, you know, issues that need to be solved? And that's one way of doing it, convening the groups on the ground that are doing the work. Another one is just to do a study or a white paper or something, you know, an, uh, an analysis nationally, a landscape analysis of the, of the issue and what's, uh, what's out there, what's, what are the barriers? And so that probably is step one. And and then the next step would be, you know, after you've identified those, engaging the board on that, saying, look, we've, you know, we've been <clears throat> funding these 
groups working on these issues for a long time. And we may or may not have had success uh, to varying degrees on, on the issue or the issue is, you know, persistent, chronic, but it's not getting better. So what what can we do, you know, and, and this is a, you know, where the point where you might have to have the, the you know, the, the advocacy conversation with the board. And I think that a lot of boards and nonprofits are afraid of going there because they are they're worried about politics they're worried about you know getting in trouble with the irs or getting in trouble with their donors so engaging the board was a matter of sort of gauging them uh, you know either individually or as a group about where they are on on policy and advocacy um, how much of an appetite or a, a worry or concern about uh, going there as a as a particularly a private foundation where there are rules, right? That you cannot lobby, you cannot uh, directly impact legislation or pay for campaigns or political campaigns, which is you know fine. But beyond that, there's all kinds of things that you can do to impact ag advocacy and, and uh, policy issues. And so uh, everything from, and it's a continuum, everything from actually going and speaking in front of legislative bodies as a guest, an invited guest, as an expert on an issue. And so that might require, you know, putting yourself out there as that expert on an issue and, you know, signing up to speak uh, and then being invited. And that is perfectly fine and legal and, and can have an impact on the way an issue is decided. Uh, so that's, you know, sort of like the, maybe the most, engaged that a foundation might ever get um, is actually testifying on an issue but you know short of that there's all kinds of things you can do and, and primarily you know i'm assuming most foundations would be thinking about how do we support grants that uh, go to organizations that are working on these issues and so what i did with my board was uh, i had met through our local grant makers association arizona grant makers forum some um, policy experts who presented on philanthropy 101 what does it look like to do this as a foundation and what's what's legal and what's possible and that was a, a great presentation and so i basically invited them to come to a board meeting and talk with our board to sh to redo the presentation for our board um because it's hard to get them to go to outside meetings a lot of the time so you know we actually brought them brought the water to the board and they got an understanding of, of what it was I was talking about and then, you know, gave us the okay to move forward. And then what we did was we started working with our grantee partners and saying, okay, so this is an issue we have been working on with you for a long time. We're now moving into the realm of initiatives where we're trying to change systems or structures. We're trying to create solutions or transform organizations. We're, we're no longer doing programmatic grant making or operating grant making per se. We want to get to some solutions. And so what is it about this thing that you're working on that has a policy angle or uh, needs some attention there? And so there were, as when once you open the door to that conversation with grantee partners, when you start talking about it and asking how are they advocating for their issue, they will generally open up with you and say, well, either they've been afraid to do that because they're worried about donors, you know, shying away from that or 
they have the answers right there in front of them because they know the issues inside and out. And so we've had a couple of examples where we worked with um, grantee partners who had issues around the things they were working on. So one is mental health. And in, in, in state of Arizona, we had a youth mental health coalition. And we made a grant to them to bring together partners to catalog and make aware of the resources for youth mental health in the communities to come together to, to begin working on providing better services, but also then to look at what were the barriers to that. And the, one of the barriers was that um, in schools, there was no uh, pathway for teaching mental health or including mental health in, you know, health classes or wellness classes. And so that coalition actually worked actively to have a law passed in the state of Arizona that says now it's it's okay to teach mental health in schools alongside physical health. And so it's, you know, now it's it's in legislation and that legislation actually asks the schools to look to community partners to help them do that, which is important. And so while we weren't specifically granting for that legislative change, that was part of the coalition. So our grant dollars go to our operations, they go to planning, they go to, you know, typical things that you might be giving grants for. And the nonprofit organization accounts for the slice maybe of their work that has been, you know, direct lobbying on a particular bill or something like that, but they have to have outside funding for that. They have to have additional or other sources for that. Your grant is less than the total of their budget. And so you can, you can, clearly show that we've been supporting these other efforts. We've not been supporting actual grassroots lobbying or, you know, going to talk to legislators, that sort of thing. And that, that law passed. And so, you know, there's another example where we had an organization that had a single mothers were not able to enroll in school full time to improve their situation, to get better jobs, because as soon as they enrolled in school, they lost their childcare subsidies. And so the organization that we were granting to had already been working with the governor's office on this issue, had already clearly laid out a, a legislative path to fix that problem. And we made a grant to support the pilot project where the women would go to school, get support while they're going to school and wraparound services. And so that was what our grant went towards was the pilot, not the lobbying on the issue. But at the, at the same time, the organization was doing that working with the legislature to pass the law so that now when single mothers enroll in school full-time, they don't lose their childcare subsidy. In our approach to initiatives, you know, there, and what we do is we look at an issue and we say, okay, the first thing we do is bring people together or get information from experts on what it is that we need to solve this issue. Um, at, at whatever level we can, you know, we have limited funds and resources. So at what point can we insert ourselves in this issue and try and make a difference? And sometimes it's the collective impact coalition approach. Sometimes it's a it's an organization that is poised to expand or has a solution in hand and is ready to go. And the, and the example that we have for that one was uh, Lift Our Voices, which uh, was an organization started by Gretchen Carlson, who's a former Fox News uh, correspondent who was uh, let go and had 
uh, non-disclosure agreement, couldn't talk about her story and was hampered by that and also um, forced arbitration clauses in work contracts. And so her response to that, um, although she couldn't talk about it, was to fight directly against those issues. And so we were introduced to that organization, which is a fledgling organization. It was brand new. Uh, she had just, her and Julie Rodzinski had started it and we we're working together to get the word out. And we were introduced by another funder and said, hey, the, you know, take a look at this. Because we have a gender parity space. And that issue, non-disclosure uh, agreements and forced arbitration was sidelining women in their careers if they were harassed at work and there was a settlement and they couldn't talk about it and they moved on and tried to get a job in their career in their field somewhere else and the question was well why did you leave your former job and, they, and their answer was i can't talk about it they were effectively being washed out of the market because they wouldn't be hired because they would there would be questions there would be concerns and so that's a gender parity issue you know when the when the burden of of the problem falls on the victim uh, that's a problem and so this solution was to eliminate non-disclosure agreements and forced arbitration in the case of sexual harassment and that was what lift our voices was directly targeted at and they were had already done a lot of the work on capitol hill and they needed support and so we came in and supported them in the hiring of their first executive director and so that's where our funding went was to help uh, shore up the organization get it off the ground get it running pay for operations that sort of thing and we made sure that they had their own funding that they were using for any lobbying efforts they were doing uh, any direct uh, that kind of direct work but they had enough additional funding that it was not our funding they were using for that and in the space of 18 months they've passed both of those laws on a national level that will impact millions of women and some men who are facing sexual harassment at work so that was a a, a one organization solution they were ready to go they had the solution and we you know the iron was hot so we struck and so that's uh, an example of a, of a single organization versus a coalition these were grants, what we call initiative grants. So initiative meaning you're transforming an organization, you're changing a system or a structure, or you're creating a solution or removing a barrier. That's sort of how we categorize our initiative grants. And so in inside those initiatives, yes, there is operating. Yes, there's program. Yes, there are pieces of it that are considered traditional grants, but they're wrapped up in the initiative. We, we were no longer making purely programmatic grants or purely operating grants. And we never really did capital. We did some long time ago, but not, not currently. So it had to be related to the initiative. And so in that example, it was operating funding for the organization, but it was so that they could carry out the initiative. And, and in, in, the, in the youth mental health example, we gave operating funding for convening the partners, for having the meetings, for creating the the conditions necessary to have a collaboration, you know, that kind of 
operating funding? Well, I would say there are touch points that most foundations might have. So a board meeting or annual report or progress reports on grants, those are always opportunities to make the board aware of what's going on. For us, it's been, you know, you know, we have an annual two meetings annually and the main one in January, and we would invite partners in for impact stories. And so they could come in and they could talk to the board about what was going on, you know, with the funding that they received and also, you know, where the policy issues stood as part of that. And so that's, I think, a great way to do that. The board has not been engaged day to day in this work, you know, that and, and and I think that's important also to say that, you know, there's going to be different degrees depending on your foundation of involvement, engagement. Um, but at some level, just having that, you know, semi-annual or annual checkup, which for us is about the right time frame, you know, and this the, the work doesn't happen super fast. Um, and then if something happens in the, you know, you know, to celebrate in the in in between you make it, a, you know, an email to the board or uh, post on the website or social media or, you know, celebrating a success. Those have been the ways that I've kept the board up to date on what's going on. How long does it take to make these changes? Um, in what sort of time frame or what kind of, you know, window you're thinking about as a foundation? in order to have an impact like this. And I, I really think it depends on the issue. It depends on where, you know, the ripeness of the issue, so to speak. But I think it also speaks to the need in the nonprofit world, the social sector, for patient capital, for foundations to have a longer view of what it is going to take to change conditions or to improve conditions and the issues you're working on. You know, certainly there are programs that stretch across years that provide services and and solutions to individuals and many, many individuals. But when you're thinking about a a structural systematic change, a policy change that's going to get at, get upstream to what's causing the problems in the first place, you know, there there could be a three to six year window where you have the necessary time frame to work with building the coalition, to building the will, the political will, to change the policy, to get it all done. You know, the, the pieces and parts. Um, that's that's probably. Uh, an optimistic window. Some of these things been people have been working on for 10 years, you know, 20 years. But if you can find one where you're where it's ripe, where it's like the conditions are, are right, and your injection of funding can help get it across the finish line, that's awesome. So I think there's a, a basic level of knowledge that many foundation boards, not as much staff, uh, could develop. The, the difference between issue advocacy and lobbying. Issue advocacy can include lobbying, direct or grassroots by legal definition, but the area of advocacy is really broad. You know, conducting research, dissemination of research and information about your issues on a website 
or in newsletters or media campaigns, building coalitions, sharing information with partners like local government agencies or news media, and visiting with your elected officials and introducing yourself to get to know them, telling them who you are and, and what you're doing in their district. All of this work is legally fundable by private foundations and nonprofits can do the work. And even if they do direct or grassroots lobbying with other sources of funds, not from private foundations on, on particular issues, that's still legal if they follow the IRS rules. Um, and this is a big hurdle, getting boards to see that advocacy is actually pretty low risk and legal and very effective. If you're a staff member or a volunteer or even a board member and, and you are looking for a, a simple place to start, you could ask your board this question. If there was a solution to the need for the programs that you're funding, would you want to know what it is? And if you did, would you invest in that solution so that the organizations and the people we we're supporting with our funding would actually not need or support anymore or even just less of it? If the answer to either of those questions is no, then understand that you might very well be part of the problem by perpetuating the status quo. Now, if the answer is yes, then understand that you will have to have some level of, of comfort with ambiguity, uh, extended timeframes, the complexity that such solutions require, but not always. Sometimes there is a policy change and it's not always a law. It could be just enforcing existing regulations, which is not lobbying and or legal action which is not lobbying and is permitted for foundations but they rarely do it and uh, or just implementation of a policy uh, that will fix the problem but rome wasn't built in a day you know there's uh, often a very simple way for a board to dip their toe into this work pick an issue that they would like to see movement on find an organization that's already working on that issue and is willing and able to use all the tools of advocacy available to them and give them a grant. You don't even have to give them a big grant. You can just give them a small one and say, we're investing in that solution to this problem, even though we may still be most comfortable funding programs and basic needs. Thanks to John Amoroso for joining us. To learn more about the work of the Lavelle Foundation, visit the Catalytic Podcast website Look for new catalytic podcasts each month. Meet more creative funders. Benji Roo does the audio engineering and mixing. Our website is by Kwok Lee. Our music is by O Future. The Catalytic Podcast is made possible by grants from two exponent members, the 1772 Foundation and the Blackstone Ranch Institute. I'm your producer and host, Andy Carroll. Thanks for listening. Join us next time.